Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right. We are back, and we're going to go right to the phones. And one of our favorite contributors is on the line, Nate Zolinski. My friend, are you with us? I am with you, sir. How are you? I'm doing fine. I have a I have a question mark written by your name here in today's show because <clears throat> we're getting into some of the best fishing of the year. <laughs> but you're such an avid hunter. How do you decide what you're going to do day to day? I'll tell you what, it's tough. And it honestly is, Terry. I mean, our pike are in full swing. We're catching big pike. We have a night walleye bite that is incredible. Our, our trout are starting to go really hard. Uh, but obviously, we have a lot of stuff going on. We have pronghorn that are open. We have an archery uh, sheep season that's open. Dove opens up on the 1st. And then, obviously, uh, coming up here on the 2nd into this week, we have probably the, the biggest of it all. You know, we have our elk opener for archery. We have mule deer opener for archery. We have our bear season open. So, uh, it is full gamut, Terry. And I honestly, you know, typically, you know, fishing six, seven days a week is kind of the norm almost all year. But this time of year, we're, we're honing back just a hair uh, and taking advantage of a lot of the hunting opportunities. So, I'm on a hunt right now, actually. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's just one of those times to do it. So, this is kind of one of those. Uh, important shows because this is our last time we'll talk really before you know the opener of the archery seasons uh and all that kind of stuff so yeah i want to kind of give some some last pieces of advice and uh yeah just try to take advantage you know and if you have to choose fishing or hunting kind of pick whatever hunt lines up first we always prioritize the hunt because the fishing tends to go a little better all day long opposed to the hunting so you know hunt in the morning or evening and, and fish the rest of the day all right my friend so take us through what we should be doing you know, the, the biggest thing, this, uh, you know, we, we've been getting very, I don't want to say ahead of ourselves, or I don't want to say, you know, preaching to, to certain people, but, you know, we've been talking about a lot of the, the scouting, a lot of the, the finer niche skills that are going to help people create success in the big game season. But one thing I want to talk about today is just the little fine-tuned notes. So, so many of the archery hunters, especially everybody new to archery or doing the last couple of years, you know, they've been at the range. They've been practicing with their field tips. And so many of us, you know, we'll shoot field tips because we don't want to practice with broadheads or maybe we're at a range that doesn't allow you to shoot broadheads. And, you know, maybe last year you broadhead tuned and you're like, oh, yeah, my bow shoots the same with broadheads versus field tips. We're good. And, you know, you literally go from the range of shooting field tips to all of a sudden in a hunt with broadheads without testing that. So I encourage, number one, real quickly, make sure 100% that, that you are fine-tuned with your archery equipment. Make sure that you have shot the broadheads. Make sure that everything is fletched correctly. Just make sure that, that all your gear is ready. Uh, obviously, it's a feat to even get close enough to animals with archery equipment, let alone draw the bow back let alone you know hit on target so there's so much to go on you want to make sure that that once you get through all of those steps it's actually final time to you know to take that shot and harvest that animal that everything goes according to plan so number one thing let's just real quick make sure that you uh have shot your broadheads broadheads are tuned and are flying accurately uh the reason i bring that up because i had a lot of questions from newer archery hunters this week uh talking about that they said hey you know we we shot one broadhead it was pretty good you know, we thought it was just us being off just a hair, and they final tuned this week, and they're way off. And they're like, you know, what do I do? And 
you have to adjust, you know, your, your sight to your broadhead or switch broadheads uh, accordingly. But either way, um, you know, you don't want to be hoping in this situation. You want to make sure that you are fine-tuned. So uh, with that said, just make sure everybody out there, make sure you take some shots this week. Make sure that your arrow is flying true with a broadhead to, to how your sights are uh, to create that success. And then everything else kind of accordingly, just make sure that you're prepared for this. You know, you're not signing your carcass tag, but you're endorsing your license to make sure you're legal there. Uh, you know, if you're going to go out dove hunting this week, make sure you have your hip number. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest violations, you know, that Colorado Parks and Wildlife sites is everybody buys their small game or, you know, their small game fishing and hunting combo, uh, and they don't either endorse the license or they don't get their hip number. Uh, so this week is all about the little checks. We've been scouting, we've been prepping, we have the gear, uh, you know, we've been talking about all of those things. Now you're just making sure things are right. You know, make sure that your shoelaces are new. Make sure your bow's shooting good. All the fine-tuning is really what it's about, uh, and then getting ready for the season. And kind of an update on where everything's at. Obviously, the, all the mule deer are still in velvet. Their summer patterns are still continuing. I don't think we're going to see a change in the mule deer's patterns until probably somewhere in that September 8th, 10th, uh, maybe even 12th. So we are good for, for that opening week of archery equipment on mule deer with no change of patterns. So if you know where those animals are at, you know their daily routine, those patterns are going to continue. Um, elk are now hard-horned. Uh, we've even heard a lot of bugling this last week with those colder temperatures in the high country. So by no means are we talking rut. By no means are we saying it's going to be a real you know, vocal calling early start. You know, We actually a lot of times discourage that. We usually try to promote not calling to the elk until they're calling. Let them start the conversation. But regardless, we are hearing some bulls starting to bugle, so that's always an exciting time to know that you know the testosterone's flowing and just know that they're they're getting active so i would say everything is kind of lined up for a, a great opening start to the archery season uh and we're excited for it yeah I mean, there's just so much going on i want to circle back to one thing you said earlier about you know making sure your bow is tuned in you understand and this is a place where i'm really a big fan of 3d ranges because when you do a static range and you're shooting at a target, you may be right on the bullseye or within a pattern that you're comfortable with. But when you shoot on a 3D target, you start to realize where that arrow is going as it enters the animal. And even though you might hit a spot, if the angle to the target is wrong, you don't know how you're penetrating. Are, are you a big fan of 3D ranges? Absolutely. I, I love 3D range. I mean, if I, you know, if I was to give somebody tips for prepping for hunting season, the, the couple things you think about is number one, shoot a 3D target. Cause then you're going to get the concepts of true. You know, you have confidence shooting at a block target. You're like, Oh, even if I miss, uh, you know, I'm still going to save my arrow. When you're shooting at a smaller target, like a 3D, where it's not this big, massive target you're shooting at, it makes you just slightly nervous. It causes you to focus differently. And a lot of times it will throw off your shot. So th shooting 3D is just more that realistic situation. I also shoot with hunting gear on. And the biggest thing that I do when, when practicing at home, at a range, I do my best to never shoot an even number. My pins are going to be that 20, 30, 40, 60, you know, and so on. So when I'm practicing, I am always trying to shoot at 27 yards, 33 yards, 52 yards, because in the woods, very rarely is that animal going to be standing at a, at a flat number. And it's crazy how in those final seconds, you're nervous, you're worried about drawing the bow, you're focused on so much stuff that sometimes all of a sudden having to do that quick math, like, oh, he's at 55. 
you know, do I do take my 50 and go high? Do I take my 60 and go low? Um, you know, how do I shoot that difference? So when I'm at the range, shoot 3D, and that's probably the biggest tip is shoot odd distances. And the thing that we discourage is talking about that real quick. So many people have an animal at a split distance. Again, let's just say that your your deer, your elk is at 55 yards and you have a 50 to 60 yard pin or it's at, you know, 35 yards, whatever the case may be. So many people will take their upper and lower pin and they'll put it around it and they'll try to shoot at nothing. So they'll literally put shoot where there's no pin. So their, you know, their 40 yard pin is, you know, low, their 30 yard pins high and they just put kind of the vitals in between the two pins and they fire. The problem is you're not focusing on anything and that is almost a hundred percent surefire way to miss. So when you're shooting a gapped distance of your pin, always pick a pin high or low, use that pin and, and focus it high. Um, so you're actually staring at the pin a little high on the animal's back or a little low on, on the animal's, you know, vitals there. So always pick a pin, focus on that pin, put that pin where it needs to be to deliver the area to that spot, but never shoot the gap to where you're actually not looking at anything because it's going to cause your mind to start drifting. Uh, and it's a great way to, to miss an opportunity. So those are all the little things that we're, we're practicing right now as this last week. And then, like, if I'm making a destination hunt, I'm going to camp, I'm going to a cabin, I'm going remote. Um, you know, even if you're just, driving around bouncing in your truck you know throw a target in in your rig with you when you get out where you're going or after the morning hunt check your bow periodically so many of us you know shoot all summer and then all of a sudden hunting season comes around and you immediately stop um not so much for the practice but more as your bows get bounced around things will come loose you know things can change so periodically through the season make sure that your bow, bow, bow is staying in tune um and, and you're still able to make that shot when you need to all right. One thing I do want to go over before, because we're talking about getting ready for hunting, and you mentioned you're getting a lot of questions from new hunters. Uh, there was an article today that two different instances and three people had to be, they were just hikers out, had to be rescued because of hypothermia. And, you know, we're getting new people out there. We saw a lot of new people go into the hunting realm over these last couple of years with COVID. And sometimes they maybe don't understand gear. I mean, when you're headed out, it may be 75 or 80 in Denver or the front range, and but you can get up in those mountains and a storm comes through. And if you don't have the right kind of clothing, especially if you're wearing cotton undergarments or if you're not layered properly, Nate, you know how fast things can go south. Absolutely, Terry. And I mean, even even without a storm, I mean, just high country in general is cold. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I'm out in the field now, and it was a very cold morning. I mean, gloves, hats, all of that type stuff. So, I mean, people ask all the time, and I, I actually have a, a series of videos out kind of talking about what I carry. But the general rule of thumb, the, the quick radio version, I always have a way to make water. So whether it's I'm carrying excess water bottles or I carry some sort of filter, I always, I don't care if I'm walking 100 yards in the Midwest to my tree stand or I'm going on a remote high country hunt, no matter where I go, if I step out of my vehicle or I step out of camp, if I'm walking in the woods, I carry some sort of way to filter water and clean water. I always carry rain gear because if you're wet, you are cold. So nowadays they make small portable rain gear. I mean, you can literally shove it in your pocket. It's so small. So always have water, water filtration, always have rain gear. And then I always carry a puffy jacket, a puffy down jacket. You know, a lot of times they're weighing less than two pounds. Um, if I have those items with me, I can get through about anything. So a puffy jacket, water filtration, rain gear, and you are set for success. So those are a couple things that in the emergency type situation, 
uh, you know, throw that, throw a lighter in your pocket, grab those items, um, and you're going to make it through. So those are the things that to always consider and always have with you. It'll save you in a, a major pinch for sure. And, and I'll add to most novices have at least two ways of making a fire and understand how to make a fire. A fire will save more lives and help people find you than almost anything else you can do. It prevents your panic, keeps you in a spot. I know when I was in search and rescue, the thing we hated most was finding where you were, where you had been, you know, not where you were. And, and a fire will calm you down. The panic will set in, but just if you're new to hunting, you're new to getting out there, Take a little time this year and understand the layering concept, the clothing, the weather changes, how quickly hypothermia can set in is ridiculously fast, and don't let it turn into a tragedy. Last couple minutes before I let you go, um, take me fishing. Absolutely, Jerry. So, so again, fall temperatures are set in the high country. So, you know, the the South Park area, we do a lot of fishing. You know, temperature-wise, we're in the 30s, uh, if not low 40s, air temperature-wise. That water temperature is plummeting, and it's making those pike go crazy. Uh, so yesterday, uh, the team, our biggest pike yesterday was a 44-incher, but we are seeing tons of big, giant pike. It's kind of that we're in that new moon phase. we got a great moon phase mixed with cooling temperatures, uh, and the pike are going. So, right now, uh, that bite is pretty hard to miss. I mean, again, we're seeing 40 to 44-inch pike um, almost daily. So, it's one of those things that people travel across the country, you know, every province in Canada looking for those fish, and they're right here in your backyard. So, so the pike fishing statewide is tremendous. Uh, so, you know, it's the same thing we've been talking about. It's jerk baits, it's spinner baits, it's top water um, so it's a fairly simple technique. Grind the water till you find some fish and build a pattern, um, and you'll have success. So that bite's going strong. Uh, we're starting to see the water temperatures just slowly start to cool on the front range. Uh, your Chatfield and Cherry Creek, and that's bringing on a reaction bite for big fish. Uh, seeing lots and lots of big fish uh, coming out. That is going to be a low-light bite. So, you know, early in the morning, late in the evening, if not all night long. Uh, and it is a reaction bite. So we're fishing blade baits. We're fishing jigging wraps aggressively. We're fishing jerk bait. Uh, the bite right now, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, Pueblo, uh, again, low light reaction baits, uh, and it's producing big fish. Now, we still have daytime bites for numbers of fish, but but kind of the key thing that we're focusing on is those low light bites for those big fish, just because, you know, the, the opportunity at 30-inch fish is there. It's going right now as we speak, uh, so, so it's definitely worth putting some focus on that opportunity. Uh, so those are probably the hottest bites, and again, as we mentioned, we do have some trout fishing going on, uh, but between the pike and the walleye, it's all about fish with teeth and, and it is going strong all right sounds good how do people find you if they want more information or book a trip nate absolutely you can always go to tightlineoutdoors.com you can always find us on facebook tightline outdoors uh just search tightline outdoors and i do encourage that we uh we are looking at it probably in epic october just the way chatfield's been fishing with the low water low bait fish uh how spinny is currently fishing um we are you know booked up fairly regular but we're starting to look at october bookings uh there's only a few left so if you've ever considered a trip uh, i would get a hold of us sooner than later just so we can get you in some of those peak times coming up here in the next couple months All right, we will talk to you next week, my friend, and you have a good rest of the weekend. We'll talk to you soon, Terry. All right, we're going to continue to talk some hunting and fishing with our good friends at Jack's Outdoor Gear. Uh, They're going to join us after this time out, and we're going to talk about the Poudre River and make sure the gear we need is available going into this fall. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan.
You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. And speaking of Jack's, we're going to go to the Fort Collins store. And joining us from the fishing department is Dave Gross. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well. And we've been talking most of the show about the fall transition and fishing and uh, that some of the best fishing of the year is coming up. First thing I'd like to talk to you about is the last couple years with COVID, there was problems sometimes getting fishing gear or particular lures. As we head into this fall season, how well stocked is Jack's and how good is the inventory? We are stocked up pretty good here at the Fort Collins store. Uh, things have gotten a lot better on deliveries and timing. So I'm pretty optimistic. It's been good to see the product coming in. Anything new that's come in? I know I didn't talk to you about this earlier, but anything new that's come in you're kind of excited about? The uh, new Fenwick HMG rods, I really like the feel of those. Um, Reel-wise, nothing's really changed for us. Lure-wise, uh, we've got the Salmo, Salmo lures here in Fort Collins. I think we're the only store right now It's kind of a trial run. The little Hornet's a great little walleye crankbait for trolling, sometimes casting. Yeah, there's some, uh, the Salmos are well-known. I'm up, I'm actually talking to you from Minnesota, and they're well-known and used up here. I know you're an avid and accomplished angler, and you love the fall fishing. One of the places you tend to fish uh, quite a bit is the Poudre River. Now, it's been through a lot lately with the flooding and the fires. What are you finding on the, take us up and down the Poudre River and tell us what you're finding. Yeah, whenever it rains, Poudre still gets gray to black, um, but they are doing a lot of work. They're doing wood chip drops. They've got helicopters flying five, six times a day. So hopefully that's going to help. Um, they've done a lot of river cleanup up around uh, Black Hollow, trying to get that shored up so not as much comes through. They've been doing some stocking. They've been doing some experimental stocking where they're actually spreading guys out with buckets and smaller fish and spreading the fish out instead of just dropping them all in one place. Um, so hopefully that works out and things start to get better. Right now, pretty much still the best fishing is up above the upper hatchery at Rustic. Yeah, and, and that's probably, I'm glad to hear they're working so hard to get the pooter back to where it needs to be because it's such a great resource. I love fishing it myself, but I mean, not that there aren't some fish lower, but I think I agree with you that if I was going to fish the pooter, I would head up above where if you get above that burn scar, it should still be pretty good fishing, right? Yeah, it has been. And the hatches have been good. There's still bug life. Um, seeing red quills, PMDs, yellow sallies, lots of caddis. So it's good to see that uh, the bugs um, throughout the summer, there were stoneflies. Stoneflies are usually one of the first insects to die from bad water quality. But even through where the fire was, there was the Terranarsis, what most people call the salmon fly hatching and different golden stoneflies hatching. So pretty optimistic about that. And with those bigger flies and also with the terrestrials, have you seen a dry dropper or a hopper dropper be pretty effective recently? Yeah, at this water level, that is a great way. If there's not a good hatch going on, 
that is a good, great way to cover cover the water. You know, I, I like it because, first of all, I don't have to make a delicate cast because hoppers splash down anyway. Right. So it goes goes good with my bad fly casting. <laughs> and then I don't have to get a perfect drift either because they kind of wiggle around, and I can see them with my old eyes. But, boy, I catch a lot of fish on the hopper dropper or dry dropper, mostly mostly on the dropper. But any particular flies you carry at jacks you like to use for that combination? Good old chubby Chernobyl's. Um, purple works great, and then the other colors. Sometimes, you know, if the there's gold stone flies hatching, it's good to use the golden bodied one. Um, tan when the hoppers are out. Chubby Chernobyl does a good job of uh, imitating a lot of different terrestrials. Tan I know that. Flies. Go ahead. I know the Chubby Chernobyl is a great one up in Rocky Mountain National Park, too. They'll pocket water fishing. Those little fish will just explode on it. What about the dropper? Any favorite flies, or do you kind of go with what the hatch is? Um, what the hatch is, but like a pheasant tail is a good generic imitation right now because the red quill nymphs kind of got that color. The PMDs, even though when they hatch, they're more of a cream to a light green olive color um the nymphs are usually more of a tan to a red color so pheasant tails do a really good job of imitating that and and before i let you go any other of the smaller lakes around the fort collins loveland area have you heard anything well, nate was talking about the toothy critter bite uh lawn hagler's been good there's tiger muskie northern pike walleye in there crankbaits um, there's been water running off and on in the lawn hagglers so it's a little bit cooler than other lakes where the water has been stagnant um, so working the crankbaits at lawn haggler that's been good and you also never know when you're going to run across one of the wiper that are in there and then up here in fort collins wellington Douglas has been okay. You just got to figure out where the fish are. They're down on the bottom. So trolling flicker shad, size 5 to 7, right along the bottom. Or if you've got a good fish finder and you find the suspended fish that are chasing the shad balls, doing a blade bait or a Rapala jig and wrap, getting on top of them and vertical jigging them. That's yeah, it's just, it's fishing, fishing should just get better as we get into the cooler weather, don't you think? It will. It will. Horse tooth's are already starting to cool down, and the other, the smaller lakes, um, should be should be right there where they're going to start cooling down. All right, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Of course, a lot of the stuff. Yeah, most of the jacks seem pretty well stocked. We're in a different position than last year, so. Folks, you know, if you're not, well, if you're a hunter, go to Jackson, get your hunting gear. But if you're a fisherman, the fall, a lot of people who are fishermen are hunters. They're going to be out in the field. The wet lakes aren't going to be as crowded. Jax has lots of gear for you. To, and we're just going to see some great fishing, I think, Dave. Yep, yep. And dove season's right here in a couple days. And we've got eight shot in, a couple different uh, styles, different companies, even some six shot. And we've got uh, dove decoys and mojo voodoo doves so we've got that stuff too for for the first all right my friend good talking to you we'll talk to you again real soon all righty thank you all right dave gross from the fort collins store did you haven't been into a jack store i mean if you're an outdoor enthusiast they are just such incredible such an incredible location there's so much going on there 
I tell you what, we are going to take a time out, and then Mr. Chad Lachance is going to join us, and he wants to talk about finding fish in this fall transition, and he's going to give us a lot of tips on a variety of species. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. Joining us, one of our longest-running contributors to the show, Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning from Horse Teeth Reservoir. Well, you know, I, I've been talking to everybody about this, and you're certainly a great example of it. This time of the year, we've got all these hunting seasons starting. There's scouting going on, archery starting, shotgunning-type bird hunting is going on. Yet we're headed into some of the best fishing of the year. Don't you agree? Absolutely, and uh, for me, I'm kind of conflicted on it on any given day because of exactly what you're saying. And, and actually, I'm heading out to do some scouting myself this afternoon, shortly after we get off the radio. But uh, but right now, I'm at the lake, and uh, it's cool and breezy, and for sure, feeling like a touch of fall. There's some yellow and a few of the trees popped up around here in the last week as well. Uh, the lake's over the hump in terms of temperature and it started dropping now. And so, yeah, it's going to get to be some really good times uh, as far as fishing goes for pretty much everybody that swims. It's going to get good. And uh, my favorite term uh, as a hunter and fisherman is hyperphagia. It's the time of year when everybody's starting to eat at a high level and that makes them predictable. So uh, it's a, it, the thing that people need to keep in mind is to fish around the bait and to keep an open mind about what constitutes the bait because it's easy to say that, but here at Horsetooth, that could be smelt, it could be shad, it could be small sunfish, it could be crayfish, it could be fathead minnows. So it's really just a matter of being around food sources in general. And in my experience, most of the predator fish will prey on just about whatever's available to them. Now, first of all, Karen thinks I'm in hyperphagia most of the year, so, <laughs> and I've got to cut back a little bit. But, you know, you're exactly right. Another thing I love about this time of the year is not only is the fishing just going to get better, fall is another time of the year when we have a better opportunity for big fish, kind of like spring. Not that you can't catch big fish year-round, but the opportunities for big fish seem to rear their head again. And a lot of the people like yourself, you're going to go scouting, are avid hunters. The water's a lot less crowded for some of the best fishing of the year. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, 100%. You know, I live overlooking the lake, and uh, and so I get to watch all that transpire. And there's a few ski boats out there this morning for sure, but the numbers are dwindling quickly. And, you know, another two, three weeks from now, there'll be even fewer kids are back in school as well. So there's less just general pleasure boaters out there as well. So... Uh, for sure, less crowded. Uh, also, a lot of the lakes tend to be lower at this time of year, which uh, freaks a lot of people out. But at the end of the day, the lake is smaller and the same number of fish are in it. Everybody's crowded into a smaller space in terms of the, the fish and the bait. So it can make fish a little bit easier to locate in that regard as well because you've just got less water. I mean, for instance, here at, at Horsetooth, the bays are emptied mostly out. And so you can obviously take them off of your decision uh, process as far as locating fish. So the concept that you mentioned about this being a good time for big fish is really important because the first, I'm a, I'm a strong in the opinion, I'll be interested to see what you think, that the first fish that make the seasonal movements are the largest, most mature fish in the system. So the first bass to go back to the banks 
and start taking advantage of some of the young of the year bait fish that are up on the banks are going to be the largest of the fish. The same thing with the walleyes or uh, conversely, if we're talking about the cold weather fish, the brown trout, the big mature brown trout that'll come in to start thinking about spawning in places like Granby or any of the bigger reservoirs that have browns in them. The biggest ones are going to be the first ones that'll start heading for the banks or start staging in the runs below the ripples in the river where they're going to spawn. So uh, if the, the guy that fishes ahead of the curve is going to have the best shot at catching some of the big fish. So right now, if it's me, I'm going to fish as though it's later into the fall and hope to contact a few of those bigger fish rather than fish as though it's the end of summer and stay out where I've been catching them for the last six weeks. I, I couldn't agree with you more that this is a tremendous opportunity and a lot of those big fish have been in deeper water. They haven't been as molested. They're, they're not, um, not as wary yet as they will be when they get shallower. The one thing that the, I hear the constant argument this time of the year is when do you power fish or cover water or go for the reaction bite and when do you still try to get a feeding bite? How do you approach that in the fall? Well, I'm always going to start with the power fishing, always, because if I cover more water, I can contact more fish potentially. So the fish have to prove to me that they won't do that first. I'm not going to start, uh, you know, with the uh, with the finesse techniques and things like that. So I'm going to start with the power fishing for sure on a colder, blustier, more blustery day is a key time. So especially, let's say I'm trout fishing. Let's say I'm going up to maybe North Park or South Park. I'm going to go do some trout fishing early fall like this well if it's a cool blustery day i'm for sure going to power fish hard uh like like swing for the bleachers because you're really looking for the biggest fish in the system and they'll take advantage of that cooling weather it's just the opposite of spring in that a cold front in the fall can be your best friend because it starts to bring water temperatures down and the fish are, are happy to see that whereas in the spring a cold front will stop the warming trend and be just the opposite so a good fall cold front or a breezy day is the first thing I want to see. If I'm going a cold rainy day, same kind of thing, I'm going to power fish really hard in that scenario. The only time I'm probably going to finesse fish is if it really slacks off and it's glass calm, uh, no wind, you know, high bright sun, high pressure day, and then I might tone my presentations back. But if I can get away with the power fishing, I'm going to do that. And if I'm going fly fishing, I just had a long talk with a, with a good friend of mine who is uh, headed up to do some fly fishing with some people out of town. I told him flat out, swing your streamers and throw your giant dry flies and don't don't even mess with all the little nymphing and all that. Yeah, you can catch a bunch of fish, but these fish are thinking about food right now and streamers and, you know, big big dry flies in the river will get it done. What about in the lakes? When you power fish, I think some people don't always necessarily um, understand what we mean by power fishing. What are some of your favorite presentations for that? Well, this time of year, it's hard to beat uh, one of three baits. If, if, if I'm, it'll start off with a bass. Uh, one of three baits, and that's going to be either a relatively large topwater bait. Uh, these days, it's really hard to get me to put down either a Berkeley Driftwalker or a Chapo. Either one of those uh, are fantastic baits this time of year. That The, the Driftwalker is a three-hook walking bait, a walk-the-dog presentation. People want to look that up. And then the chopper is just chuck and wind it very easy. But I'm not I'm not throwing surface poppers. I'm not throwing most of the other top waters this time of year. I'm going to throw one of those too. That would be a power fishing thing. Another one for me would be a lipless crankbait, like a war pig or a rattle trap. 
A lipless crankbait's a fantastic fall bait because you'll get fish that are up and shallow. It's very fast. It makes the same kind of noise as bait fish do underwater, which is hard to imagine when you rattle that thing. But having snorkeled with big schools of bait fish, I can tell you that when they all shift directions at the same time, it sounds very similar to something like a lipless crankbait that's full of rattles. So it's also a bait that's easy to throw in the wind and a very much a multi-species bait. So walleyes, trout, bass, everybody will grab on. White bass, another classic example, uh, everybody will grab a lipless crankbait. So that's an excellent power fishing tool. And then, of course, a jerkbait. You know me and jerkbaits. Uh, that's a year-round bait for me. It epitomizes power fishing. If the fish are shallow enough, which they should be at this time of year, uh, then I'm going to for sure throw a jerkbait around. And I can tell you from walking the bank here at, at Horse Tooth last night, I was watching schools of very, very small shad, like inch and a half long shad get pushed up on the mud banks. And I'm talking about like inches of water and smallies running them up on the bank and getting a hold of a few of those shad and pulling back out. And that to me screams either small jerkbait or lipless crankbait. Yeah, those are always great presentations and they're great multi-species presentation. Another one that I've kind of added uh, and I want to talk about a couple others, but another one that I've recently added to my uh, power fishing is the chatter style baits. Yeah, fantastic bait, particularly around cover. For me, that's a that's a either a low light or a weed based type cover, uh, maybe wood cover, something like that. A spinner bait being a, a similar example of the same thing, a more old school version of it. If I'm going to get around. Anything snaggy. If I'm going to Boyd Lake right now, I'm probably going to throw something like that. If I'm going to fish horse tooth at night, I'm probably going to throw something like that. And the reason being is I can fish it very shallow. It's never going to hang on anything unless I let it sink into the rocks. And most importantly, it's just got a very good kind of hustle to it that could be anything from a fleeing crayfish to a bait fish. A very strong signature, you know, sound signature coming off it too, similar to the lipless crankbait. So yeah, it's no. easy for fish to locate. Absolutely right. And the last scenario is if the fish are deeper, um, the glide baits, blade baits, and spoons are really going to come into their own now. Yeah, and for me, that's going to start, uh, that's towards the tail end of the fall thing. That's just my personal thing. Uh, if As we start getting into October, then for sure, I'm, I'm definitely working on the drop baits, uh, a snap jig, a, a, a blade bait or a jig and spoon of some sort. Uh, but right now I'm still going to focus more higher in the water column than that. And I just think because our surface temps are, are very, very comfortable now for fish. And I, that's why I'll be focused on that. When we get a real hard cold snap and some of the bait fish start to die off or start to pull back towards their wintering regions, then I will for sure be doing those baits you're talking about. Yeah. So I've got a couple minutes. Um, if you were going to go fishing, you know, the next couple of days with the weather, the way it looks, the water cooling, where would be two or three places you definitely would hit? Well, I think it's starting to get to be excellent time to hit some of the upper rivers. So you got to watch out for the afternoon thunderstorms, particularly in Northern Colorado here. But uh, because it's mud, it's getting mud, significant mud in the rivers when that happens from the fire scar, from the burn scars. So, but the upper river area should fish very well for sure. 
And then any of the front range reservoirs are fishing good. I, I talked to a couple of buddies up and down the front range. The, the white bass are going good at Boyd, so that would be a good opportunity. Um, the only one that doesn't seem to be kicking out fish consistently as much right now is Pueblo. The guys that know what's going on are smashing them there, but a lot of people are still struggling there. Chatfield's fishing well, and, of course, Horse Tooth here. There's a kayak tournament going on, so if people are coming up here this weekend to Horse Tooth, there is a, a large kayak tournament going on, uh, so watch out for kayaks. Most of those guys have big orange flags on them uh, to make them easy to spot, but the water here at Horse Tooth is low. But it is not low enough to hurt anything other than angler's mindset. So don't get hung up on the, on the fact that the water's getting low. There's fish running a lot of those mud banks, particularly in the evening time. And uh, really good opportunities right now for bank fishermen around here. Yeah, and that's a great point. This is, you know, sometimes summer when the water's warm for all species, the fishing gets a little tough. People are always asking us, hey, we don't have a boat. What can we do from shore? Well, spring is obviously a great time from shore, but so is fall. This water cools. Uh, trout, bass, they're all getting to get a little, they're going to be chasing bait. They're more comfortable. It really is a shore angler can sometimes even do better than from a boat. Absolutely, and you have more bank access. So you can walk big sections of bank here, whereas when the water's high, that might not be so easy to do. So that's important. And one thing I'll, I'll throw out there to people, regardless of where they're fishing, in lakes or reservoirs right now, first of all, if you start to see vegetation die off, fish somewhere else. Don't fish around the dying vegetation. That's going to run fish off and because of the it's going to deprive the water of oxygen as that vegetation decays. The other thing I'm going to tell you is if there's any sort of running water running into a pond, I mean, even a sewer, a storm sewer or something in a metro pond, something like that, any sort of running water at this time of year will draw bait fish in. And even a small amount of running water will draw bait fish in out in front of it. And that's going to be a key spot to fish. So if we get an afternoon rain shower or the water comes down in any of the creeks here at Horse Tooth or, you know, like I said, a storm drain in a local pond, whatever the case might be, uh, running water is a great place to fish, particularly in the early fall. We are out of time, my friend, but one great information as always. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks very much, Terry. You guys have a great weekend. You at Chad Lachance from Fishful Thinker. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back and close out the show and uh, maybe get a few tips from uh, Dan Jacobs on what he's going to cover in, on sports later today. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.